Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe Tillery. I'm joined by my co-host Derek Duke. And Derek, I'm not going to beat around the bush here. We got a lot of great football to talk about. And I'm but starting things off here, letting people know what we are rocking. In our hands tonight, I've got an ice cold white cloth. It felt like the best way to go. You know, it's still cold outside, so I don't really know if it complements the weather at all. But that is what I'm drinking for tonight's episode. Derek, what'd you get for tonight? Tonight I'm drinking on a Russell's Reserve uh, single barrel. Got a little high proof tonight. The weather uh, down here is getting a little bit cooler, so I thought I'd break out something that's a little bit stronger uh, for the old taste buds. boy, Hey, that's a, always a good start, you know, getting the selective stuff right there. But jumping in here, Derek, we got something selective to talk about in this video, or excuse me, not in a video, what am I saying, in this podcast that everyone wants to talk about. The biggest game of the week, the biggest game of the slate, the Kansas Jayhawks upsetting Oklahoma, giving them their first loss of the season. Derek, what do you think about the game between the Sooners and the Jayhawks? Man, what a game. I mean, we've talked about the uh, drama, I guess the injury saga of Jalen Daniels, and he shows up there on Saturday morning. Uh, dressed as even a captain at the coin toss. And I'm thinking, you know, is he going to play today? But uh, obviously he didn't. But, uh, man, I got to give credit to Jason Bean. He wasn't – he didn't have his best game by any means, but he got definitely got the job done. Uh, only through two interceptions, but where he really made the difference was was with his legs, 62 rushing yards, and had that big touchdown uh, in the second half of the game. So, for me, Kansas, honestly, if you look at everything offensively that they did – I don't feel like they had their best game by any means because if you look at everything that they did, I mean, sure, they had 225 rushing yards, which is big, but they didn't throw the ball particularly well, and I thought that's where they were going to have to beat Oklahoma was through the air. But Oklahoma's defense, as we've seen now week to week, is kind of falling off a cliff, I guess you would say, because for the first part of the season, I think they were holding opponents to about 10, 11 points a game, and now they're giving up over 30 points a game in the last three uh, Big 12 games. So a big difference for them, but, you know, more kind of focusing more on Kansas here. I mean, this was a monumental win for Kansas. And I know some people will say, oh, Lance lately Leipold has already, you know, taken them to a bowl game. That was big. But for me, this was like that program defining win. And it just goes to show you how far this program has come in the last three years under Lance Leipold. And, you know, I, I don't know what it's what it is, but man, he should be at every top coaching list in America right now. If you're looking for a head coach, so I just the job he's done in Lawrence has been incredible. He's made Kansas football fun. He's made it respectable again. I mean, the list goes on and on about what I could say about the man and the job he's done. Um, it, it you can't really even put into words. Uh, I guess what he's been able to do there over the last few years and build that culture up and everything like that. So for me, this was a huge win uh, for Kansas. And I loved uh, seeing after the game, the fans rush the field and I love seeing them tearing down the goalposts, throwing them in the lake. Uh, that, that was really, really cool to see. And, and you know what, Kansas football is fun to watch again. And I, it, it, it's been so many years of misery for them. You know, this is their first winning against Oklahoma, I believe since 1997. So just, Kudos to Kansas. Really, really happy for their fans to celebrate a big win like this. I mean, especially because this is probably the last time you're going to play Oklahoma for a very long time. Um, I, you know, for the Sooners, we talked about last week about them kind of coming back to earth against UCF. They really struggled. And I think those struggles kind of continued this week against Kansas on the road. So, I mean, 
Dylan Gabriel was really not that great. I mean, he was kind of efficient, but at the same time, I felt like Oklahoma was scared to run the foot, uh, excuse me, throw the football. And I feel like that's where Oklahoma's really had some success, especially late in ball games where, you know, multiple times of the season, Dylan Gabriel's had to drive the offense down the field and win a game late. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to do that. He had, I think, under a minute left at the end there uh, to try to get, a, get in the end zone. But, you know, this offense for me, for Oklahoma, very confusing. I'm not really sure what they're doing offensively at times. So, uh, Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator, I know there are a lot of questions about him uh, in his play calling in this particular game, but it was certainly an interesting one. I mean, much like Kansas, I thought the Oklahoma rushing game was really, really good, but at times I think they got too cute when they could have just ran the ball uh, right up the middle against Kansas and took control of the game. But, you know, defensively, that's to me where the breakdowns were. Oklahoma had some mistakes, too, with the turnovers. Defensively, I mean, th- like I said earlier, it's been a night and day difference over the la- first part of the season to the last half for the Sooners. And, you know, this this win definitely shakes up the conference standings for sure. It's definitely incredible to see. And, I mean, you know, you talked about how monumental this win is in Lawrence, but it is crazy because Lance Leipold, it just feels like, I mean, Kansas was so painfully bad for the better part of two decades, except for, you know, the occasional season here or there. They have been back-to-back bowl eligible for the past two seasons now. And I keep seeing Lance Leipold's name pop up in all the coaching things. You know, there's Michigan State, and there's a couple of different places looking for a new head coach. It's crazy to see the production at how much he has changed the program. I mean, this is a complete 180, complete overhaul. They're landing three and four-star guys like nobody's business now, rather than the time where it was, you know, really having to convince people to come play at Kansas. You know, it was a real task. That's not so much of a question anymore. And I appreciate that, you know, just everything the coaching staff has done, but it's one thing that's still interesting to me is the Jalen Daniels situation, but shoot, if you beat Oklahoma without Jalen Daniels, and I'm not going to be the guy that's like, well, you don't need him, you know, none of that garbage, but it's impressive to see what a guy like Jason Bean's done, even though he wasn't great in this game. I mean, he had that beautiful throw on fourth down when you had to have it there late in the drive, but he also did have, you know, a couple of bad picks in this game, but it was good enough to get the game. You know, I figured that it'd be okay. It would take Kansas playing a perfect game and still not having that extra element or that extra lightning in a bottle that they needed to get that win. I was wrong. You know, they played, I don't know if you'd say they played much better than a B game at at best. Like that wasn't their best game of the season by any means, but they took down Oklahoma and also shout out to the guys absolutely jumping in that Lake shirtless after tossing the goalpost in there. Those boys, are they're rallying. So I appreciate that. Uh, Jumping into Oklahoma. I mean, there's a lot of people taking blame. Brent Venables kind of took all the blame after the game and said that it was his fault for not taking a timeout on fourth down or whatever the case was. And there's people coming for Jeff Levy. There's a couple of different people, you know, having issues with the play calling. And I understand all that. But Oklahoma, man, I don't want to be the guy that's like, let's look at their resume because that's never a fun argument in college football. But I listened to a couple of guys talking about it today. And you look back to their schedule outside of Texas. I mean, it's kind of a question mark. I mean, obviously you get, nobody in the non-conference schedule just to run that off. You beat Arkansas state 73 to zero. Sure. That's a ton of points. No, don't want to discredit that SMU. You beat them 28 to 11. They're okay. You get Tulsa They're You know, they're no good. Start off with Cincinnati 20 to six against Cincinnati, which based on some of the games that Cincinnati's played this year, that was actually one of their better ones. They do beat Iowa state. So there's the caveat to that. And Iowa state, I think at that time still hadn't quite come to terms with its style of football. They're going to play yet with Rocco Beck still developing. So I think it's a different game a little bit today. Then you beat Texas. That's a great game. I mean, nothing you can take away from that, but 
Then you get UCF and you lose to Kansas. So really, outside of Texas, I mean, their best resume win is Iowa State. And then you look at either UCF or Cincinnati. So there is part of that element to take into consideration, but I think they'll be okay. I mean, Bedlam is going to be awesome. You know, for the past couple of weeks, everybody's kind of thought it's like, well, Oklahoma's going to run away with it. Then you just see Ollie Gordon running for 8,000 yards in three games. Like the dude is ridiculous. Heisman conversation worthy player. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens next week. we got a lot of great games coming up. And we'll talk about that later in this episode, but let's jump to the other Kansas school. Kansas State absolutely demolishing Houston, beating them 41 to zero. Derek, what do you think about the Wildcats putting up another blowout performance in back-to-back weeks? Yeah, you said it. This was just another blowout performance for Kansas State, who's now outscored their last two opponents, what, 82 to three. So this time they get the shutout. They weren't able to shut out TCU last week, but they were able to get a shutout against Houston. And man, I'll tell you what, I know we kind of gave up on Will Howard. I, I know some people did. They're ready to crown Avery Johnson the starting quarterback, but you know, Avery struggled to had that fumble, and Will Howard, let me tell you what, 15 for 17, 164 yards, two touchdowns, super efficient on the day. And thankfully, they didn't really have to do a whole lot. I mean, Kansas State was really able to control this game on the ground. I mean, they held the ball for over 34 and a half minutes of this game. I mean, that that is like classic Kansas State football to a T. That is exactly what they want to do. And and to their credit, Kansas State, third on third down, they were 10 of 14. That's ridiculous. And on the flip side of that, Houston was 3 of 14. So just a huge difference uh, on third downs for both teams. For Kansas State, this is a team, much like a couple other teams we're going to talk about later in the show, is gaining confidence every single week they're playing right now. I know they lost to Oklahoma State. We've talked about Oklahoma State multiple times on the show. But that loss is a lot better, I think, now than it was you know two or three weeks ago you know I don't think there's any doubt about that so for Kansas State this is another uh, big step in the right direction another uh, I guess stepping stone or confidence booster before they're gonna uh, have their date with Texas this weekend so Kansas State just keeps rolling Houston um, you know for me you know Pete said in his uh, post-game video that Houston was just kind of like lifeless out of that you know, after that Texas game, it's like they used everything they had in that Texas game and they just were not ready for to play in Manhattan, Kansas on Saturday morning. I don't know what it was, but they looked all out of sorts from the get go. I mean, this this game was 28-0 at halftime. And, and let's face it, Houston really never stood a chance about the second quarter. So for me, this was just a really rough game for Houston. Donovan Smith, as good as he's been the last couple of weeks, I thought he really regressed in this game, uh, completed less than 50 percent of his passes. 88 passing yards and an interception. You know, Houston just couldn't get anything going offensively. They had, they had 208 total yards. I mean, that uh, on offense, that's like, that's a number I expect from Cincinnati, not not Houston. So, you know, I guess I'm throwing shade at Cincinnati, but just a really, really rough game for Houston. Unfortunately, they had their worst game against probably, you know, one of the better teams that they're going to play all season in Kansas State. But my takeaway here is just this was just another building block for Kansas State going into next week. Yeah, I mean, that really is what it comes down to. And you see, you know, the TCU game beat the brakes off TCU. They beat the brakes off Houston. Two games that aren't, you know, they're not the upper echelon teams in the Big 12. But TCU did have some momentum coming into that game. Obviously, now it looks like a very different story. But, yeah, you said it. I mean, I'll start with Houston here. Houston didn't have a single drive longer than 31 yards on the day. And that is an appalling stat. You know, credit the Kansas State's defense, but 
Is there really a takeaway from Houston here other than just please shred this game, burn this game, get it away from me as far as possible, and we'll move on to the next game? Because you're not gonna you're you're not gonna play a worse game than that all season. You know, there's not another team on the schedule that's gonna hold you to no points. And this is also, you know, all speculative, but it doesn't feel like there's gonna be another shutout. And even if there is, you're gonna put up more yards than 200 on the entire day. So I don't know. I mean, there's not a ton of takeaway from here. It was just classic spot where you come off a high profile win or high profile loss against Texas, but still one that you were right in. And then you go to Kansas state and it's just, you still look asleep. And that is not a team that can afford to start slow, especially when you're playing the defending champ. So that's that for Houston moving on to Kansas state. I mean, you said it, Will Howard came out and said, Hey, don't forget about me. I'm a champion. I'm a big 12 champion. I'm still that guy. And I've heard a lot of people kind of talking about like, wow, it's interesting that Kleiman elected to ride with his guy and go with Will Howard. I don't know that it's a set thing for the rest of the season for either quarterback. You know, this hot hand approach is really, really something. And I know that it's, you know, it's tougher to have that kind of miscommunication in the locker room sometimes, but it feels like there's going to be games where Avery Johnson's your primary guy than Will Howard's your primary guy. Will looked unbelievable. This was the Will Howard that everybody thought was going to be here for the entire season coming off last year. But whatever it took to get him there, whether it did come from Avery Johnson pushing him a little bit or Will just settling down, not forcing the ball down the field too much, this is peak Will Howard. And this is a guy who can go in and potentially take down a Texas team, obviously with the help of an Avery Johnson. But this is a big win. I mean, it was a complete blowout. I mean, you had you know true freshman kids down the stretch that you didn't expect to play the entire year in this game. So this was a, uh, a big win for Kansas State. But definitely, like, you know, it's not a game that you're going to learn much about outside of just, okay, Kansas State is really good. Houston, not so much. That's kind of the main takeaway here. But moving on to their opponent for next week, we had the Texas Longhorns and Malik Murphy in his first game of college football with the Longhorns. Malik Murphy steps in as a freshman, taking on the BYU Cougars. Derek, what would you think about Texas stepping up some of the uh, some of the workload missing from Quinn Ewers? You know, I was really surprised by not necessarily Malik's performance in this game. I mean, he was 16 for 25. 170 uh, yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, he had a QB rating of actually 45.8. So it's not like he, you know, blew my socks off or anything like that. But the supporting cast around him was what's really surprised me. And I think that's the difference between this year's Texas team and some of the other ones we've seen over the last few years because this team has talent to compete with just about anybody, maybe in the entire country, maybe. I, I don't know about that yet, but – you can certainly make a case for it for as much talent they bring in every year in recruiting. So for me, that was kind of my story here. Jonathan Brooks uh, didn't necessarily have his best day out there, but still ran, uh, got 98 yards uh, and a touchdown. I thought Texas did some things offensively that were pretty good. I guess you would say it was nice to see a Donnie Mitchell kind of get more involved in the offense. He had two touchdowns receiving. So offensively, I don't have a ton of takeaways here. Like I said, it was just nice to see some of the younger guys step up. Uh, in need and how they were really able to lean on some of the younger guys and that offensive line to get the job done. Um, you know, as for Malik, I, I don't think he played a great game. I don't think he played a bad game. I thought he was just kind of okay. Um, I guess probably what I expected, I, I guess you would say, but I, I will say I did like his confidence. He was not afraid to throw the football at all, you know, even after that reception. So I thought that was – and look, I don't know if you've seen the guy, but the guy is just a freak at – like mm -hmm. he is just built – he's built like a linebacker uh, playing quarterback out there. So he's definitely an interesting guy to watch uh, uh, for Texas. And 
you know, and the other thing for Texas, uh, you know, we talked about some guys stepping up on offense. Defensively, I thought they were outstanding. They kept BYU out of the end zone for four quarters, only allowed two field goals. And, and that's really where Texas, along with some, you know, having supporting cast on offense for me is kind of turned things around a bit this year is with their defensive play because it's been a night and day difference, um, you know, in year three under Steve Sarkeesian than what we've seen the previous two years, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, this this Texas team, you know, I know they lost to Oklahoma, but, you know, they still are gaining some confidence here, much like some of these other teams in the conference. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see how they're going to respond after this game, I guess. But at the same time, you know, this matchup against Kansas State is going to be huge. And I'm not so sure about starting Malik Murphy next week against Kansas State. I, I think that's going to be very interesting for BYU. Joe, we've talked about it so many times. This team, for me at least, is the most confusing team in the Big 12 and by far the toughest to figure out week to week because one week they lose to TCU by 30-plus, then they go home and they win by, what, double digits or whatever it is. They Mm -hmm. dominate Texas Tech. And and then you see them just have these games. It's like where they don't even show – I don't know. I don't know what it is about them being on the road or playing in day games, but it's just like – they're just a totally different team. And Keaton Slovis was, let's face it, I know he didn't have the best protection, but he was pathetic at 25 for 40 and two interceptions on the day. He had a QBR of 27.9. He was he was averaging less than five yards per, you know, per pass. I, that is awful. I, I don't know what's going on with BYU. We already know they can't run the football. And then when you combine that with a guy that's not very accurate and it's not great and it's not going to make plays for you, I don't know where they're going offensively. You know, I know the defense certainly had their issues in this game, and I get it. They, against a backup quarterback, they should have not allowed that many points. And they also had that special teams breakdown that I forgot to mention when Xavier Worthy returned that punt in the first quarter. But too many breakdowns offensively, defensively. I don't know what it is, what needs to change, but BYU needs to seriously take a look at their offense and try to figure a few things out because. I'm sorry, Keaton Slovis, I don't know how you, you're confident saying, yeah, he's the guy we want, want to roll with uh, for the rest of the season. He, you know, I, I don't know. BYU still has a chance to get to a bowl game, I think, which would be big for them in year one of the Big 12. But something's got to change for BYU. They're definitely not the team I thought they were going to be going into the season. Yeah, I mean, you said it. You know, I have no idea what the deal is with BYU. And I know that there's, you know, there's a visible gap between these teams. But BYU still had some moments like – there's situations where they kept Texas out of the, out of uh you know, they held him to fourth downs and they stopped him at the goal line twice, got off the field both times, first and goal, take him all the way down, get the football back. And then granted he got Keaton Slovis throwing it out of bounds, incompletion here, sack here, holding here. You know, there's a lot of issues there, but BYU, like I talked about it today with a buddy of mine, I'm starting to legitimately feel bad for these four teams. that just added it. BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and maybe that's not the right response because everybody knew there was going to be an adjustment. You know, this was not going to be a season where they're going to compete for a title immediately, but BYU had some upside. I mean, they were the first, you know, they, not the first school, excuse me, I guess Houston had that Hail Mary, but like a first school to have a convincing win over a team that was in the big 12 last year, you know, you beat down Texas tech and I know Texas tech isn't great this year. And we all have seen that, but there's a lot going on with BYU that just doesn't quite make sense to me yet. You kind of expect your playmakers to make plays, when your offensive line isn't doing anything, your receivers aren't getting open, your quarterback isn't looking great, 
I mean, it just wasn't, there wasn't one positive takeaway from the offense. You know, you start off the game missing LJ Martin, your leading rusher, still really weren't great at rushing the football with him in the game. So that's definitely an adjustment, but you didn't see Isaac Rex's name called. He had a, a pretty bad drop where they could have gotten in the end zone later in the game. Didn't see Chase Roberts a whole, a whole ton. I mean, there wasn't really just any big things to talk about on offense for BYU. So that's got to get figured out, but their defense did come to play to an extent. I mean, you held them to 21 before the garbage time stuff. And then obviously you turn the football over, they go the other way with it. Like it wasn't a day where you're like, well, all is lost here, but boy, it felt like it, man. I mean, it just felt like a one where it's like, all right, this game needs to end. It's just not a contest. That was what you saw for BYU, but jumping on Texas, man, I, I don't want to be the guy that's overly critical of Malik Cunningham, or not Malik Cunningham, excuse me, Malik Murphy, because I know that it's only his first game, but you know, he looked like a true freshman. He looked like a quarterback that, you know, he had some good throws and I want to get those out of the way first. You know, he had a great throw to, to Jatavian Sanders that he threw with confidence and he's definitely a confident kid. I mean, you can see that the long touchdown to Xavier worthy was a little underthrown, but still got there. So you can't really you know critique that too much, but boy, that interception, I mean, that was bad. That was a bad decision to go with the football throws it into an upright BYU's defend, you know, upright BYU, yeah, upright BYU defender. That is a crazy tongue twister. Uh, standing there, just, you know, basically a house call. Obviously, they, they bring him down, keep him out of the end zone. But Texas didn't look like they were firing on all cylinders. And that's fine. I mean, that's your first game in college football. I don't know if that really changes if you go to an Arch Manning. But what I saw out of Malik Murphy, you know, you had a bad fumble, bad interception, and they were both because of pressure. Outside of that, he looked fine when he wasn't facing a ton of pressure. I mean, maybe there was a ball here or there that he just added a little bit too much zip on and it bounced off somebody's hand. Still should be caught, but there's some of those throws you could highlight. But if he's going to make bad decisions facing pressure, I mean, he's got a whole other thing coming when Kansas State comes to town. You know, BYU's solid, but this isn't a defending champion. So there's going to be a little bit of things to talk about there. I don't know if that means we'll see Arch Manning. I don't think it will. Steve Sarkeesian kind of talked about it just like it didn't feel like the right time to go to Arch because the offense wasn't like they weren't stagnant. I mean, they were moving the football. Jonathan Brooks showed up. Xavier Worthy showed up on special teams and in the passing game. You know, there's a couple of guys that made plays, but it wasn't bad enough to go to Arch Manning, but it also wasn't good enough to go to Arch Manning and say, well, let's get him some valuable reps here. I don't know what that means going forward, but it definitely wasn't a game I came away saying that offense looks great. Defense is legit. Don't want to spend too much time. They are so good. That defensive side of the ball is going to be tough for anybody to play against. So, you saw that. I'll be interested to see how they handle another offense like Kansas State, but BYU just was outclassed, outmatched in any other way you want to say it. Moving on to the next school, the next game, we both kind of talked about this as a key game to watch just for pick reasons, for spread reasons, because there wasn't a spread that made a ton of sense in this one. Iowa State and Baylor. Derek, what'd you think about this game? You were in hand or, you know, in Waco for this game. Did you have a good time? I saw a bunch of rain coming down, so I hope you stayed somewhat dry, but how was that experience? Very rainy, man. It was, I, I, you know, I got there early to do a little bit of tailgating before the game and kind of just talk to some people and had a good time there. But man, once I made my way into the stadium, it started pouring. I was soaked going up to the press box. I didn't even have an umbrella. So I was just soaking wet sitting there. And uh, luckily I kind of got, had a chance to dry off a little bit before I went to go sit down. But Man, I'll tell you what, before the right, like before the game started or as soon as the game kind of got underway, it just started pouring and it was just like on and off rain. Like you could see people just clearing out from the stadium and it really looked empty sitting up top. And I'm sure it probably even looked worse on television because there was just I mean, it wasn't like this little sprinkle. I mean, it was pouring, pouring rain at times in this game. So I really felt it for both teams and the fans that stayed there for sure. So. 
You know, for me, this this game was all about Iowa State. I mean, we could talk about Baylor here in just a second, but I thought Iowa State did a fantastic job coming out of the gate. They were physical. You know, it took them four plays to score on their opening drive. And, I, you know, after I saw that, I was like, okay, Iowa State came here to play. They're not messing around today. And Rocco Beck, you know, surprisingly didn't have his best game. And he said that after the game as well. He thought it was his worst game. I, I don't know if I can go that far, but he certainly didn't have his best day out there. For me, the big thing for Iowa State was their run game and 162 yards on the ground, averaging four and a half yards per carry, two touchdowns. You saw Sanders, Norton, uh, Sama out there for the most part. The one thing I'll say about Iowa State and why they're kind of getting better and better each week, that offensive line is really starting to gel. And it was clear for me in my view up top seeing just how they were opening holes down low. They're blocking on the edge and their perimeter has been terrific in this game. They really, really did a great job for their running backs and their ball carriers in this game, uh, making some uh, lanes for them. And I'll say this, the last, I think Iowa State has had three performances this year where they've rushed over 150 yards in the game. Those three times have come in the last four weeks. So you're starting to see a team really get confidence on the ground, and that's exactly what they need need to help their young quarterback in Rocco Beck. We'll keep seeing Jalen Noel. Jaden Higgins is getting better each week. Benjamin Brommer, the tight ends, making big plays for them. This offense is slowly kind of coming along, getting better each week. Defensively, they had a mishap or two. They had a busted coverage on fourth down there. But overall, I thought they did a really good job against Baylor. And, and you know, we'll talk about this Iowa State team more, I guess, later in the show. But being from, – for Matt Campbell, I remember that video of the guy saying, you're on the hot seat, Campbell. And everybody, that just kind of triggered everybody. And everybody was talking about it. Should Matt Campbell be on the hot seat? You know, is he really, you know, does he still have what it takes? He's not as good as he was two or three years ago when they went to the uh, Fiesta Bowl. He silenced his credits, man. I mean, you could say what you want about Matt Campbell, but this team right now heading into the month of November is tied for first, first place in the Big 12. How many people had that before the season started? Nobody did. So the job he's done with this team is outstanding. As for Baylor, just the total opposite. I mean, there is – it feels like almost all hope is lost for this team under Dave Aranda and this program. This program is not heading in the right direction. Yes, they got a bit – you know, they won a couple games this year. They got a win against Cincinnati last week. This program is heading in the wrong direction. Ever since that championship – that excuse me, that Sugar Bowl win, I guess you'd say, over Ole Miss – this, this program is not where it needs to be. Last year, they finished 6-6. Six and six. Now they're sitting at 3-5 and five with, what, three or four games left. They have to win three out of their next four games to get bowl eligible. And Joe, I'll read you off the schedule here, and let, let me ask you if you think mm-hmm. this team's going to make a bowl game. Houston at versus Houston at Kansas State at TCU, last game at home against West Virginia. Do you see three wins out of that? I don't know if I see two. Yeah, exactly. I I don't know how anybody would be confident and say, yeah, Baylor's going to go bowling this year. And after a disappointing six and six season this last year, this team may go what four and eight or five and seven this year. That that's just not good enough for Dave Aranda. I don't know if it's been said already or not, but he should definitely be on that. That seat of his should start feeling a little bit warm right now because mm-hmm. this team just really really bad. And that was it was almost as tough to watch the team as, as it was just from the game and the rain. I think I rather maybe rather have stood out in the rain outside the stadium than I had to watch this offense play because they were just terrible. They wanted no part, you know, defensively, they weren't good offensively. They can't protect Blake Shapin. There's no creativity in the offense. They just, 
it's like they're just there. They show up and, you know, maybe they hope to win. I, I don't know what's going on with Baylor, but definitely not a program that's trending in the right direction. No, I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. You said it. I'll start with Baylor because I think that's probably the quick, you know, the quick one to jump on top of. Like, Dave Arant, that seat's been in the microwave a little bit. Like, it's not cold by any means. It's not comfortable. It's not cool. It is heating up. And, I, you know, I'd ask you this, but I don't know if there's a benchmark for – you know, there isn't really a time limit on, okay, I won a national or I won a, a big 12 championship two years ago. So, I mean, remember that, like that doesn't really get you down the road very far when you put out four win seasons, six win seasons, like that doesn't really extend you into the next decade because it's not people that you've really recruited fully. It's not your entire staff. It's not what you can do this program. It's somewhat inherited, somewhat, you know, developed somewhat, whatever, it doesn't really feel like Dave Aranda is going in the right direction. It doesn't feel like the program's going in the right direction. I don't know, man. You watch Baylor play, and it's just – it's not an offense I want to watch play. It's not a defense I want to watch play. There's a couple of players you're like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. He might have an okay day. But I don't know if they ever inspire me to feel like, oh, this team can really do it. They can win a game here. They can win two games in a row. Get some like A bowl game is out of the question at that point. I don't see that many wins down the stretch. I mean – Going three and one in the last four games is tough for any team in the Big 12, let alone Baylor. So I don't know that I'd look at that and say, okay, I feel good about this team. I don't know. I mean, do you think that, say they go, what, one and three to finish out? Because I think that's probably a realistic estimation. I don't know if they win that West Virginia game, um, but they should beat Houston unless Donovan Smith somehow has a crazy Donovan Smith day. I would expect them to beat Houston, but it's not even a gimme. And that's kind of the crazy part. It's not just a gimme game by any means. So Baylor's got to show up and prove that, but if they go one and three here, you know, what kind of a conversation do you have in the offseason with your team? Do you say something like, well, we're going to see what happens, you know, internally and go from there? Is it just kind of a Neil Brown where everybody's like, well, Dave Aranda's out if he loses five, if he, if he wins four games, five games next year? Like, it's just not a good situation in Waco. So I don't know. Something's got to change one way or another. I'm not calling for the man's job by any means, but it definitely is at a point where you have to start addressing that concern for sure. Iowa State, on the other hand, this was a good game just to handle it. You know, it's not a sexy game. It's not a great outcome. It's not one where you look at and say, oh, this is a great game. Best game we've played all year. Wasn't Rocco Beck's best day, but he still got the job done. And that's really what you're looking for him. You said it. Nobody in the country had this on their bingo card, except for Matt Campbell. I'm not even sure that the team had it on their bingo card. These dudes are outperforming expectations each week. And you look at their schedule, like they're one of the five teams tied. You know, it's a five-way tie for first place in the big 12 conference. They don't have an easy schedule by any means. I mean, they take on Kansas, who's just fresh off that big win over Oklahoma. So that's something to, to pay attention to. But they still do have a legit shot to slip into a title game if the ball bounces their way. Obviously, you have to figure some things out, and there's some tough games down the road. But it could happen. I mean, it's not the easiest by any means. You still have to play three ranked teams. Like, you've got KU. Not going to be an easy game. You've got BYU. That's one you can feel good about. Then you close out the season with Texas and K-State, which likely both of those teams will be competing Pretty dang close to a Big 12 title, you would assume, depending on the outcome of this week and what happens with Texas and Quinn Ewers, depending on if he gets back this season, if we see a combination of Arch Manning or Murphy to close things out. But it's possible, but already where they're at is a win. I mean, that's a huge spot for where they're already at. But moving on to the next game, a game that really, really, really started slow on the Oklahoma State percentage. You know, it looked like Cincinnati had a chance. And then the second half happened. Ollie Gordon remembered he's the best player in college football and exploded once again. Derek, what do you think about Oklahoma State and Cincinnati? Ollie Gordon, Ollie Gordon, Ollie Gordon. That that's that's what happened in this game. I mean, <laughs> they're 
it's almost comical to think about how he was used earlier in the season compared to where they are now. I, I believe he's the leading rusher, Joe, now in the nation. He's the Big 12's leading rusher for sure. He's already crossed 1,000 yards this season. He's rushed for over 500 yards in the last two games. I mean, I don't know what else you could say about the guy. He is putting himself – I don't know if he's in necessarily a Heisman favorite, but I think he's certainly put himself in that conversation after his performances the last you know month or so of the season. So he's been a revelation for this offense, and he takes so much pressure off Alan Bowman. And I don't think Alan Bowman was necessarily great in this game, but when you have a guy like Ollie Gordon, it it almost just kind of masks any any you know deficiencies you have in your offense. And I felt like early in the game they were maybe trying to do a little too much, but I felt like as the game went on, they they kind of fed Ollie the ball and think good things started happening because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we have this Ollie Gordon. I guess it's like they realized they just had Ollie Gordon, so they started giving the ball. And that, like I said, anytime you give him the football, good things are going to happen. Uh, you know, another guy I want to give a shout-out to is Leon Johnson, the former D3 All-American player. You know, they talked about redshirting him, I remember, before the season started. And then for him to go out with uh, due to some other injuries, for him to go out there in his first game and, you know, ball out for 149 yards, I think he's going to be a guy that maybe needs to stay in that uh, – rotation that runs out on the field for them so that was really cool to see I felt like Oklahoma State was maybe just a little bit of sleep in the first half only scoring 10 points against Cincinnati uh, that was not what I expected I expected Oklahoma to do much better than that but Oklahoma State excuse me so for them to score 35 points in the second half that was a huge deal uh, and really refreshing to see this team can kind of flip it all on the turn of a switch I guess, the turn of a switch so which is really uh, key for them I guess because I didn't expect that out of this offense. I kind of thought it was going to be a slugfest all the way to the end, but they definitely proved me wrong there, and their defense did an outstanding job against Cincinnati. And Oklahoma State, again, another one of those teams that's, you know, in that title conversation, another big week, uh, weekend ahead for them against Oklahoma. We'll get to that later. But for Cincinnati, just I guess it was good to see them stick around and for a half, Joe, but other than that, I don't really have a lot to take away from Cincinnati. Their defense broke down late. You know, they actually had, I think, one of the best rushing defenses in the conference. And then to let Ollie Gordon rush for almost 300 yards against, it kind of just tells you how good he, he really is and how good that offensive line is for Oklahoma State. But Emory Jones, 6-16, an interception, 117 yards. I mean, think about how bad Cincinnati was down in this game, and they only threw for 165 yards. And they only completed – 11 passes in this game it's mind-boggling to watch watch the Cincinnati team I'm not going to put it on their defense because I think most of the time their defense carries them but Emory Jones another guy we talk about a lot on this podcast not being able to get the job done I don't I don't know how you start the guy moving forward in the season I mean you're pretty much out of bowl contention with another loss so at this point what do you really have to lose yeah I mean that's what it comes down to you look at it it's like what is a positive takeaway from Cincinnati in this game? I mean, they were somewhat effective in the ground in the first half, and then everything exploded. I mean, there's a couple of playmakers on the defensive side of the ball, but it's just not enough when you have Ollie Gordon running at you. And you mentioned it. Cincinnati is the 18th-ranked rushing defense in the entire country, and Ollie Gordon put up 300 yards on him, basically 300 yards on him. Teams are going to keep trying to scheme against Oklahoma State and saying, you know what, let's stack the box and make Allen Bowman beat us. Guys, I'm not sure you're going to do that. Even if you stack the box, Ollie Gordon's running through you, running past you, running around you, and leaving you at the station. So the idea of saying, like, 
all right, we just need to stop Ollie Gordon. That is the first, the biggest like point A before you can get to point B thing I've ever seen. Stopping Ollie Gordon is not easy for anybody, especially with one of the best rushing defenses in the entire Big 12 and a top 21 in the country. I mean, Gordon's just been a stud. He's a Heisman type player, not the front runner, you know, but I think Michael Penix from Washington is probably the guy that everybody points at. But as of right now, Ollie Gordon is running into that conversation. And if he keeps these, I mean, if he keeps these 300 yard performances up, you know, he's the second Barry Sanders, but the guy is absolutely incredible. He's a great playmaker. And it is kind of funny to watch the light flick on of, Oh shoot. Yeah, we do have Ollie Gordon. Let's give him the football. And then he goes for 300 yards. I mean, Ollie Gordon was basically two rushes short of running for more yards than Alan Bowman threw for Alan Bowman goes 17 to 34 for 286 and two scores. Ollie Gordon goes 25 carries for 271. He's 15 yards short of their quarterback. That's incredible. Usually you think about that number and say, if our running back is within 15 yards of our quarterback, we have a serious problem. Not in Oklahoma State's case, man. Alan Bowman, he hasn't been great really ever, I would say, this season, but he has been good enough. And then when you look at a team like Oklahoma State, Ollie Gordon's averaging just under eight yards a carry. Turn around and hand the man the football. First down, second down. If it's third and anything less than five, give Ollie Gordon the football, see what happens. I mean, that's what you're seeing out of Oklahoma State, and I think he might run for 900 yards when they play uh, Oklahoma in the Bedlam game. Cincinnati, yeah, it's time to bench Emory Jones. It's not all his fault. You know, there's people not getting open. The rushing game hasn't looked good. At this point, you're 0-4, 0-5 in conference play. You're looking for your first win. Why not try something new? It's not working. The message is not working. You know, you had peak form Emory Jones last week, if that's what we'd consider peak Jones or peak form Emory Jones, but why not switch something up? You know, you saw Brady Lichtenberg come in and he wasn't incredible, but he went five and nine for 48 yards and a touchdown. That's half of the yards that Emory Jones threw for in this game. You know, the team is a whole throws for a buck 60. Might as well try it, man. Maybe just to get something new in the locker room, something new as a spark of energy. So that's what I'd take away from that game. But the last game on our schedule, talking about another team looking for their first conference win, UCF taking on West Virginia. Derek, what do you think about the Mountaineers and the Knights? This is the classic West Virginia that we saw earlier in the season that we haven't seen over the last two weeks. Um, for me, that was my really big takeaway for West Virginia. We talked about, I've said before, that West Virginia was going to have to run the football well, control the clock, and not turn the football over and play solid defense. And I felt like they really did that in this game because that's exactly what they have to do to win these kind of games. I, I didn't really expect them to score 41 points, but, uh, hey, I guess you'll take a win however you can get it. But offensively, I thought they did an outstanding job on the ground. They ran for 286 yards. Average nearly six yards per carry, five rushing touchdowns on the day. Garrett Green, quarterback Garrett Green, had three of those rushing touchdowns. Joe, they ran the ball 50 times in this game. That just kind of tells you offensively where they were going to go uh, here because they knew UCF's run defense was bad. And to their credit, it very much is bad. So they they took every advantage of that all as much as they possibly could. And West Virginia held the ball for over 36 minutes in this game. So this was like the perfect game for West Virginia to, to do uh, on the road. That's exactly what they need to keep doing to keep stacking up these wins. And I'll say for West Virginia, they with their schedule, it's pretty light. This team could easily win seven games, maybe even get to that eight-win mark, which would be a huge win for Neil Brown, considering they were picked dead last in the Big 12 uh, preseason poll. So that would be really big for them. As far as UCF, uh, just that was a tough game because I felt like, with 
Reese Plumley back that this offense was really going to take that next step or kind of revert back to their old ways um, because Timmy McLean, their backup kind of held them back a little bit, but with Plumley out there, I feel so much more confident in this offense and this team, but man, he just had a rough day, three interceptions. I know he threw three touchdowns, but three picks. That's just very unlike John to do that, especially in a game at home at homecoming. So that was a really uh, surprising thing to see for me in this game, because that's just not something he normally does. And, UCF just offensively didn't do a whole lot with the turnovers, so they were kind of it was kind of more of a late comeback more than anything. They were able to score a touchdown in every quarter, but West Virginia from pretty much start to finish controlled the entire game because UCF couldn't stay on the field for very long. And you know another problem with UCF, you turn the football over and then you can't stop the run. I mean, you give up almost 300 yards in the ground. Um, I don't care who you are, you're going to have a hard time winning that game. So. Just kind of this, more of the same, I guess, for UCF. Just the only thing that really surprised me was Plumlee's interceptions. But other than that, that's kind of been what UCF is this season. They've been a team that's really struggled uh, against the run. And you know coming in each week that the, your opponent, their opponents that they're going to play are going to try to establish the run against them. You know, I think about this UCF team because I've watched them. You know, you saw them with Timmy McLean. You now see them with John Rice Plumlee, John Rice Plumlee. And it's definitely a different vibe, but it's still not where it needs to be yet. You play a team like Oklahoma super close. That one felt like, hey, this is a good feeling. Let's try to at least get close to this going forward, if not better. Obviously, you want to win that game, but still positives to take away from that. This team looks drastically different than they did in non-con. Obviously, that's what you get when you play a team like Kent State versus a team like West Virginia. But I don't know, man. UCF's one of those teams you hit the reset clock on. You get some healthy guys. You get a team right. And you could maybe have the ball bounce your way one or two of these times, but it is falling more and more into that conversation of, all right, this is a team that I don't want to watch play football right now. I mean, UCF has not figured it out yet. I know there's been some questionable play calling. There's been some issues on both sides of the ball, but they're a good enough team to not be 0-5 in conference play. However, that kind of feels like how the ship's going to write this season. And we'll see what happens. Obviously, they've got a winnable game this week coming up, but it's just not all the way there yet. I don't know that that says that John Reese Plumley's all the way back from his health. I know that he's, you know, definitely good enough to throw for almost 300 yards, three scores, but the three picks, you're coming from behind. I get you're trying to force the football down the field, but turnovers are going to kill you no matter what you do. You see it in every walk of football. That's going to happen. But jumping into West Virginia, I've been hard on this guy for so long, and I've said it on the podcast a couple of times. CJ Donaldson was not living, living up to the potential of what he could as a rusher this season. And maybe that was a West Virginia thing. Maybe that was a CJ Donaldson thing. Maybe it's an O-line thing. Maybe it's a whatever thing. He goes 17 carries for 121 yards in a score in this game, averaging 7.1 yards per carry. I know there's other guys on this list that are averaging just about that same thing yards per carry wise, but it was good to see him emerge as a talented rusher in the big 12. I've been waiting for this moment. He absolutely handled that. Obviously you get Garrett green running for three scores. So that takes part of that. And then obviously another running back getting in the end zone, but, you said it. This is West Virginia football. I mean, I don't know that I say West Virginia football is a 40-point scoring team consistently, but this is a good day. That's something that you take away from here. And it is at least like I saw you know, Pete talk about it. They are one freak Hail Mary from Houston away from this being a six-way tie for first place in the Big 12. That's how crazy this is, and that's a crazy thing to think about in my mind. But that is what we had on that game. Rounding out the week, now moving on here, Derek, overall thoughts on the weekend. Was there anything you took away? in recap from this past week, and I'll give you the floor here now. I think two thoughts for me, Joe. One, we have a five-way tie for first place in the Big 12 between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas, and Kansas State. So just 
the month of November is going to be really incredible and really, really fun to watch as we uh, get closer and closer to the Big 12 title game. So I, I don't know if I've ever really seen anything like that over the last few years. Just you have that many teams with their hat in the ring still this late in the season. So that's really, really awesome to see and makes uh, for some damn good t- uh, TV. The other thing for me, I guess I would say, is just the struggles of the new teams. Uh, speaking about uh, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and, and UCF, you still have a UCF and Cincinnati looking for their first Big 12 wins. They're 0-5 on the season. Houston was able to get a win, and, and BYU's won two conference games already. But overall, when you combine their records, they're what two, excuse me, three and seventeen on the season. So, just you know, you could say what you want about the Big Twelve and, and over the past few years, and compare it to maybe the American Conference or the you know whoever it may be, Sun Belt. I don't know. Just you know, there was all kinds of things being said about the Big Twelve, but I think these teams definitely came in and they got a wake up call that I'm not sure, quite sure that they were expecting right away because. I felt like maybe some of them thought they were going to be able to compete a little bit better in some of these games, and it's just been a really, really rough start. I mean, three and seventeen—that is, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, the record kind of speaks for itself there. I, I, you know, obviously there's still some more football left to be played, but hopefully, eventually, UCF or Cincinnati will get that first Big Twelve win at some point. Yeah, I think I think my biggest takeaway from the weekend is that we all need to we're going to need to pay better attention to the tiebreaker rules because something like that is going to come down the stretch this week. Absolutely. Put things up on a silver platter for week 10, as we have some incredible matchups here. We'll talk about, but if nothing else, you've got a five way tie for first, you've got West Virginia and Kansas, both sitting right behind still in the hunt. Some things have to go their way, but there's still a real chance that we see any of the top seven teams get to Arlington in their own way. But I do want to talk about this as we move forward. We do have some of the best games of the upcoming season coming in week 10. I mean, that is, that is no short, you know, short sight whatsoever. It feels like some of the best games of the season. I'll read through the spreads here through, and then we'll go through the picks, but you've got starting off here. This line has moved a little bit. So I'll adjust it. Texas tech minus three versus TCU. It's kind of ballooned. It opened at one. Now it's up to three. Everything else is pretty much the same. Then you've got Cincinnati plus four versus UCF. West Virginia minus eight versus BYU. That game's in Provo. Baylor minus five versus Houston. Iowa State minus two versus Kansas. Oklahoma State plus four versus Oklahoma in Bedlam. And then Texas minus five versus Kansas State. So the only main adjustment would be Texas Tech instead of minus one. We've got it at minus three versus TCU. Everything else staying the same. Derek, let's go through, and I think I'll give you the floor to go first this time. I think I went first last week. Texas Tech minus three versus TCU, and I will give you the floor on this one. Whew, man, that that is definitely a toss-up for me. Um, I guess just with this game being in Lubbock, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the Texas Tech in the points here, but I do not feel good about that pick whatsoever. That's probably a game I would definitely stay away from. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you in a sense, and I'm also not. I'm I'm not betting on this game. Like, I would not put any money on this game. But if I had to, the the switch from one point to three points is a little concerning. But I'll go with TCU just because I think it's better quarterback play. I know we saw. Josh Hoover get beat pretty bad in Manhattan, but did have a good day against BYU and BYU beat Texas Tech. I don't know. I hate doing that. Who have you beat? Who has I beat? You know, whatever happened there, but I'll take Texas Tech, you know, and excuse me, I'll take, uh, excuse me, TCU, take some points. We'll roll with that. I know it's in Lubbock, hostile environment, but I'll take the quarterback play. I think we're going to see another week at Jake Strong. Don't know what the timetable is like on Baron Morton yet. Moving on to this next one, Cincinnati plus four versus UCF. 
I just don't know that I can bet on Cincinnati with Emory Jones right now. And I don't know if that'll stay that way for the entire game or not, but I will, I will take UCF games at home. It's a four point spread. I'll take UCF to cover minus four and get into the win column. Derek, what about you? Same. And I don't feel good about that pick either because I don't know what to expect from UCF, but <laughs> I guess the one positive for Cincinnati is that they're, they're playing at home at Nippert. So maybe that's a plus for them, but I, I can't trust that offense right now. I, I trust John Reese Plumley more than I do uh, any, for anybody at Cincinnati's offense. So I'm going to go with UCF. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'll, I feel great about that either way, to be honest. And then that's some of the, that's some of the narrative for this week, but moving on to the next one, we got West Virginia minus eight and BYU. And I will give you the floor to go first on this one. Simple for me. I think West Virginia, West Virginia is going to control the game. I don't trust BYU's ground game to get the job done. And, there's no way they're going to rely on Keaton Slovis. Another fun fact, though, Keaton Slovis was Pitt's quarterback last year, and I'll never forget the video about what he said about West Virginia, and I'm sure Mountaineer fans remember that as well. So I'm taking West Virginia in this one. I don't trust BYU on the road. I, I, I don't like this matchup for them at all. I'm taking the, the Mountaineers. I do love a good spite-motivated team, You know, a team that's ready to roll and, and has bulletin board material. For no reason at all, other than something inside of my heart, I would put I would go with BYU. I'll take the points. I don't feel great about it, but a backdoor cover is definitely within play. It also does feel like one of those West Virginia games where it's a West Virginia football game and BYU. Like you saw Kalani Sataki say that he's excited to hear them sing Country Roads without realizing that that only happens after a win. So not exactly inspiring confidence, but for the sake of it, I will go with BYU. Moving on to the next game, Baylor minus five versus Houston. I'm going to say it here. I will take Houston in the points. Do I feel good about it? Not really, but also Baylor has given me nothing to go on. Five points. Yeah, it's a touchdown. It's a little bit less than touchdown spread, but I'll take Houston in just a hope they bounce back game following two tough games back to back. Obviously, the close loss to Texas and then the absolute blowout loss to Man- in Manhattan. Hoping to get back on track, I will take Houston plus five. I'll probably agree with you there. I think Baylor's still going to win this game, maybe by a field goal or something. It's going to be a really close game. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't trust Baylor at all right now. So I, I can't really say much about them. I guess positively, but Houston really had a rough game too against Kansas State. I, I don't know. These are two teams that are kind of limping into this week. I, I guess I would feel better about Houston just because the spread's a little bit bigger and uh, more due to the fact that I just don't trust Baylor right now. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. And I, I am glad that you're going first in this next one because I, I keep looking at it and it's it's one of those lines that is kind of questionable for one reason or another, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Iowa State minus two versus Kansas. Easy for me. I'm taking Iowa State. I'll, I'll take a minus seven. Forget, forget about the two. I'm taking Iowa State by a touchdown. Love the way they're playing. A night game in Ames. I don't know. I don't feel like Jalen Daniels is going to come back for this game. Jason Bean, uh, he's going to have to do a lot more than just run the football against this defense. I'm taking Iowa State in this one. Yeah, I gosh, the Jason, or the excuse me, not Jason Bean, the Jalen Daniels thing is just it confuses me. I mean, it 100 does. I don't, I can't tell you who's going to play quarterback, but Jason Bean's given some confidence. Two points is tough because we've seen games that have come down to a field goal a couple of times between these two teams. I think overall, Iowa State is a better team. Um, but I do think that Kansas is actually going to stay up in the top 25 with a win. I'm going to take Lance Leipold and just hope they don't have the complete letdown following the Oklahoma game. But I'm moving on to this next one here. Speaking of Oklahoma, we've got Oklahoma State plus four versus Oklahoma. I'm going to take the Cowboys because I think Ollie Gordon is the best player 
one of the best players in the country. I shouldn't just say the best player in the Big 12. The guy is a legit top five, top 10 player in the country. And Oklahoma, I mean, their defense started off hot against pretty bad offenses, I would say. Now you give up 30 points in three straight games, and there's some questions going on there. Dylan Gabriel didn't look great last week. Could I see Oklahoma winning this game? Yes, I could. Stillwater has some voodoo magics the same way that Ames does. You know, it's kind of that. That's kind of where I'd say on that. So I will take Oklahoma State in this game. I would honestly take them to win, if I'm being honest, because I don't think Mike Gundy is going to be, you know, selling the team short when it comes to Bedlam. What about you? What opposite? I'm taking the Sooners in this one. I think if Oklahoma had won that game against Kansas somehow, I maybe feel differently. But the fact that they lost uh, against Kansas, I think they're going to be extra motivated coming into this game. And I I don't see the Sooners dropping back-to-back games this season. I'm sorry. I know Oklahoma State's looked pretty good this year. I don't know if I trust Alan Bowman because I know Oklahoma's going to sell out to stop the run. I don't know if I trust Alan Bowman to get the job done through the air. And on the flip side, I don't know if I'm going to trust Oklahoma State's defense to uh, slow down Oklahoma's offense. But I don't know. I, I feel like just coming after a loss, I think Oklahoma's going to come out there and, and win this game. Uh, not comfortably, but I think they win by a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. I don't know that – I don't see either of these teams really starting super slow. I don't see Oklahoma State being a complete air raid offense out of nowhere. But I think Ollie Gordon's going to be the question mark in this one, which, you know, having the guy be a question mark after – Rushing for a thousand yards in eight games is definitely something I will rest my hat on. Moving on to the last game here, you've got Texas minus five versus Kansas State. That game's in Austin. What do you think about that game, Derek? If Malik Murphy is starting for the Texas Longhorns, I am taking Kansas State to win outright. Forget about the spread. I'm taking Kansas State to win outright. Love the way the Wildcats have been playing over the last few weeks. They've gotten better and better each week. I love the two quarterback system that they've been using with Howard and Avery. I feel confident that their defense can slow down um, Malik Murphy uh, in his, what, second start of the of his career. So I feel good. I know this one's in Austin, but I feel good about Tech. I can't, excuse me, Kansas State winning this game. You know, I can't disagree with you, even if I wanted to in that sense. I think that's the right game. Um, I would go with Kansas State Moneyline as well. Uh, I'm not too worried about the points. And I've got two quick reasons. Kansas State has had a little bit of that luck that TCU did last year where they played. They had the benefit of playing some quarterbacks you know, either dealing with injuries or backup quarterbacks. Obviously, last week you play Houston, you got Donovan Smith. He's their starter. No excuse there, but you do get Josh Hoover for TCU. You get a combination of Baron Morton and Jake Strong with Texas Tech. You had that against UCF. You don't have Plumlee in that game. A couple of those games going our way. This is another one, excuse me, going that way. And you get another one with an Arch Manning slash Malik Murphy. Don't know what the situation is going to be. I like the caveat being if Malik Murphy plays, I think it goes to Kansas State. Unless Arch Manning somehow hits the field and is a Manning, which obviously the last name is going to help a little bit, I think Kansas State is going to be able to confuse the quarterback, and then we'll go from there. But I think the quickest thing to look at as well is Texas's defense is not going to let anybody move the football down the field very easy. So weirdly enough, I don't know what the over point spread is in this. I would stay away from the over because I think this is going to be one of those games where you have you know, a 27-21 win, even though you have offenses capable of moving down the field in a split second. That's where I'd roll on that one. But that is going to be our picks. Derek, let me ask you this. Is there a game on that list that you feel incredible about that you are putting your stamp of approval on? Iowa State. I think they're going to win by at least a touchdown in this in the game. So I, I'm really – I'm digging the Cyclones right now. I love the way they're playing uh, at, home, at home and Ames at night. Uh, I'm taking Iowa State over Kansas. I don't know if Jason Bean's ready to – to go on the road and have a performance like a big performance. 
Yeah. I mean, he's had some big, you know, he's had some big throws, but it hasn't really carried into a spot where I feel great about him from quarter to quarter. I think I'm going to roll with Kansas state money line. I think that's where I'd put my hammer down. I just don't have enough confidence in Texas quarterback room right now. I know Steve Sarkeesian is going to prepare to do the best job possible for this game, but I think there's also some storylines working against Texas where they were talking about how they have the best win of any team in the SEC if they were in the SEC this season by going into Alabama. He's like, I haven't seen anybody else do that, which he's probably got something to discuss there. But there's a lot of media on this game, and I think Kansas State is going to pull that out. So that would be our picks, our locks. That's what we feel good about. I would stay away from a couple of games, but jump on the ones we feel great about if you're into that sort of thing. Derek, closing thoughts on the weekend and coming up and what we're going to see. Man, just another big weekend ahead. Obviously, we have some big-time matchups with uh, Kansas State, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas, uh, Bedlam. So we have some major, major uh, big-time games happening. We still have that five-way tie for first place we've been talking about. So the conference title race should definitely start shaping itself out here this week. You could see the field kind of get cut in half when it comes to the first place uh first place tie so gonna be very interesting to see how this weekend shakes out looking forward to it man this is exactly what championship november is all about man i am just excited to see it i'm excited to see every game this week and i was sitting there looking at the clock today thinking if only it was friday going into saturday morning i will be excited and ready to roll with that but guys we want to say thank you so much for listening to the heartland after dark podcast we hope you enjoyed our conversation as well as cracked open a cold drink of your choosing We will talk to you here next week in recap with week 10, some of the big things happening. We appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and take care.